Welcome to episode 58 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Ren Jackson. This episode, we sat down with Charlie Dietz. He's a Facebook designer and musician, and he made Cat Chat, and he made Moon, and a bunch of indie apps. We also sat down with Kyle Meyer, who has worked on a number of projects. He actually came from Facebook, where he worked on groups with Charlie. Prior to that, he worked on the Facebook timeline with Wilson Miner. He's also designed and built stuff for people like Big Cartel and conferences like Build. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you do, chat with us live. We have our Slack team up and running. Uh, We've mentioned it the last couple times, but we are now over 750 people in our Slack team, which is an insane number of people, uh, designers, developers. We have tons of channels in there to just chat about different kinds of things like tools we use, jobs that are coming up, the different shows that we have on the network. We do a weekly public critique session. Actually, Kyle hosted this last week. So he was in there giving feedback on people's work. It was really awesome to see people Really enjoyed that one. Lots of good feedback. So if you want to be part of that, go to spec.fm slash Slack. Put in your email address. It'll send you an invite, and we would love to see you in Slack. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. We're at DesignDetailsFM. We'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for future shows. Before we get into episode 58, we do have two sponsors that made this show possible. First up is Dropbox. Dropbox is a cloud syncing service that stores and syncs all your files across all your devices. It's a really incredible service. We use it here for all of our audio files to transfer them back and forth from each other to Sarah to Jonathan. We store all of our spec assets in there. We use it for pretty much everything. It's a really great service. It's an invaluable tool for just computer owners in general because if one of your device blows up, at least your files are safe and synced across all of your other devices. But they're also building really cool things for designers. The ability to upload Photoshop files and have them display and you can comment on them uh, in a web browser right in line so you can get feedback and critique from other people on your team, designers or otherwise, all right next to your mockups in the browser on Dropbox. They're really working on great tools like that to make collaboration easier. They just want the community to be healthy. They want designers to be a focus and it's really awesome to work with them. So uh, go check it out, dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox. This episode is also possible thanks to Icon Finder. Icon Finder is the largest source of premium icons on the web. They're back over 600,000 icons in their library from over 10,000 icon sets. You go on Icon Finder, search for any kind of icon you need. They're gonna turn back all sorts of sets in all styles, varieties, colors, shapes, sizes. Their icons work in any software you might be using, whether that's Sketch or Photoshop. They come in all different file types, including SVGs, so you can uh, use them in the web and have really fast load times. If you sign up for Icon Finder Pro, which is their premium service, you can use their icons in commercial projects. Uh, You can add your team members to your account, and that includes icons that will work in Adobe Illustrator and the CSH format. And one of our favorite things about Icon Finder is that they turn around and pay 70% of the revenue back out to the original Icon designers. So when you sign up for Icon Finder Pro, not only do you get access to this amazing library of over 600,000 icons, but you're also supporting the original designers and the design community. If you go to iconfinder.com, use the promo code ROBOT when you're signing up for Icon Finder Pro. That will tell them that we sent you and it'll save you 50% off your first month. Huge thanks to Icon Finder. And with that, let's get into episode 58 with Kyle Meyer and Charlie Dietz. Okay, I'll go first. Um, my name is Charlie Dietz. I'm a product designer at Facebook, and I like to do other stuff in life as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will learn more about <laughs> shortly. Uh, I'm Kyle Meyer. I'm independent product designer right now. Uh, used to work with Charlie at Facebook. Uh, other than that... We both were together on the group's team. 
I joined you were, as You're a small group. <laughs> your, own, your own group. We had our group, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, I'd love to hear like what you're working on now. And then Kyle, I guess you can just say like what you've been up to in the last what, five months. Well, I'll go first. I've mainly been taking personal time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done a little bit of contracting for Quora and some other friends. But um, it's it's good to take an extended break after so many years at a big corporation. I'm doing my years at a big corporation currently. <laughs> I uh, have not taken the break yet. Um, I'm working on the groups team at Facebook currently right now. And on the side, I've been like making a couple apps and uh, stuff that doesn't conflict with social networking. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how does cat chat not? You're right. That one actually is. but I That's mean, a direct competitor. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> the content is a little different, though. Yeah, so, so what are the other apps you're working on? Um, I have a Moon app, which I have built for iOS. Like, I, I, I started it a couple of years ago because I wanted to, like, learn how to write Objective-C. And I was like, oh, like, a Moon phase calendar seems like something I could, like, it would seem like a small project. And um, I started building it. I started liking it and I like basically over the years as like Apple has introduced like new APIs and stuff like that, I've slowly been updating it and it's kind of been like a really good like learning ground for writing that type of software. Um, and yeah, and then I just recently ported it over to OS 10 cause I was like, let's try this as a Cocoa app. And uh, so yeah, I use that as kind of like a, but I mean, I actually like in the process, the app has gotten kind of like, um, popular because uh, it's it, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, in South Korea, like it, it kind of became like a meme thing where it became like number one in the app store. What? And uh, yeah, like, <laughs> and people were really into it because they would like go back to the day that they were born and like take a, they could share out like an image of the moon on that day. And then they'd make it like their avatar on like Twitter or something like that. And they'd be like, this represents me. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind what? of like, it just happened to get like, culturally popular for that moment in time and stuff like that but then uh, then the search like when you search in the app store now it's like the first one because <laughs> like a bunch of people downloaded it over one weekend and wow that's awesome. <laughs> uh you also are doing some other unsolicited redesign stuff right uh a positive I, unsolicited redesign though I did one. I play the video game Destiny like yes. a lot, and uh, which which console? Uh, PS4. Are you Xbox? <laughs> I really have to buy a PS4 now. <laughs> I was gonna buy the Taken King, but I was gonna like I have an Xbox One. I bought it to play The Witcher, like literally <laughs> just to play The Witcher. <laughs> I feel sad that we can't play it together. <laughs> so you play Destiny. I play Destiny and there's a companion app that I've used on iOS and um, like it actually was like the first video game companion app I've ever used that was like significantly useful to my experience. Like um, I I used it and I was like, oh, I can manage my inventory. I can do things in this app. I can show people like how long I've played. (laughs) Like it used, I I found myself like pretty uh, excited by it. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, like it was kind of what we were talking about a little bit before. It's like, I was like, this is a great opportunity to just like redesign it without dealing with any of the problems. Like (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'll just take a stab at this, like what I would want it to be in my ideal world. And 
with yeah. no business with no business constraints no business constraints <laughs> but no like uh just i don't know how it actually is like yep. i don't i don't know i, I just assumed from my experience uh, like kind of opposite of my job where you know like we consider everybody's experience it was just like this is what i want and uh so it was like a fun little exercise but and, it showed up in polygon yeah polygon yeah. picked it up <laughs> because like it was uh pretty cool um and yeah and then i uh actually got like a response from like the lead user experience designer there who was like yeah thanks for like doing that stuff so that was really cool <laughs> he's like thanks for putting all that uh all those great ideas out there and we'll have an update soon <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like what you got to say so <laughs> did you guys ever play halo like were you guys ever into halo because halo had a really good companion app for a while and like the web uh client for it was really great i use it all the time I never used the companion app for, I, I think okay. I started on Halo Reach. I actually hadn't mm. played like the classic sort of Halos. That's actually my favorite one. And people always tell me it's the worst. I don't know. Halo Reach? It. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I, yeah. That people told me too. Yeah, I was like, I think Halo 4 is bad. I just don't like it. All my Halo days were when I was younger. Was like <laughs> original Halo, Halo 2. I never played Halo missed out. Uh, well, I was going to ask, okay. So unsolicited redesigns, we were just talking about this beforehand. Obviously, you've done one, uh, and I think we see quite a lot of them in the industry. Like, how do you guys feel in terms of is this something people should keep doing? Is this helpful for for designers in the community? Like, when does it become bad? Like, or does it start bad certain, and need to become constructive? like certain certain ones that like just dismiss entire business problems? Or in, like we we're saying with Facebook, like nine years of legacy, ten years of legacy stuff, you know. Yeah, I don't think they ever start bad. Um, I mean, the way a lot of us learn this stuff is by imitation. Mm -hmm. So, um, it doesn't come from a bad place. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, everybody has frustrations with the way whatever product is that they're using and how they feel. They wish it was designed and how it's actually designed. Um, And maybe it's ten years old and they only started using it last year. And maybe it's you know, uh, maybe in the case of Destiny, it's just like you want to use it differently than the way they want people to use it. Um, so I think it's a good, it's a great learning experience. Um, it kind of gives you some sort of brief to kind of play around with. It's like, you know, redesign Facebook. I'm going to design a social network and use the color blue, um, <laughs> call it a Facebook redesign. Um, where I think they can go a little off obviously is, you know, they're not, not dealing with the constraints that those products have either business or, legacy um a lot of facebook redesigns it's like facebook's been around over 10 years um there's people who are very used to the interface looking a very specific way and buttons in a very specific place um and when it comes to actually doing the design at facebook those are things that you have to take into account when you're measuring metrics and looking at user studies um you know moving a button a couple hundred pixels can be dramatic um then you scale that effect across um over a million people a day it's, it's insane. You know, it's huge. So when you're doing that work on the inside, it's kind of it's kind of like this puzzle where you have constraints and you have to get it to the best place you can working with all of those legacy pieces. When you're doing like an unsolicited one, you know, sky's the limit. And that can be really great. You can come up with like new stuff. Um, and even when we were at Facebook, like people would hackathon like Blue Sky. What if I could throw out all the constraints and where do we end up? Um, sometimes you can work backwards from there and get a couple new pieces to add into the to the mix. Yeah, and I think like even like working on groups, sometimes we see groups redesigns, like I've read Medium articles and stuff like that. And there's like two ways you can take it 
internally like because when you're really familiar with the problems like one way is like oh you just don't get it but like that's actually like I think I feel that way sometimes if I'm in a really bad mood but the other part of me is like oh like thank you you have like this fresh view like you just only care about the like experience of what you're and for that you can really learn a lot from like a redesign too like um yeah like uh there's always something to like kind of learn from any sort of execution of an idea um because you can think about it yourself and like determine what is working or isn't working for you Mm -hmm. or things to experiment with and stuff so two weeks ago we had wilson and ryan sims on we were talking about how like as young designers it's so helpful to like learn by imitation right and like copying others um i'm curious how you guys got started in the design world oh man a lot of glossy apple aqua a lot of aqua orbs in photoshop <laughs> um you know, some not very photorealistic iPhone. Everything had to be an iPod, orb then. iPod renderings. Nice. Classic iPod and <laughs> uh, Photoshop. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of that and a lot of, like, deconstructing websites. Like, digging. you know, that's the great thing about CSS and HTML that's kind of lost in, in this mobile world. It's like you can't just rip stuff open and, like, figure out how it works. So I think unsolicited redesigns are kind of the closest thing we're going to get to that these days, unfortunately. Hmm. How old were you when you started digging around in CSS and... Uh, um, like why were you why were you even doing that in the first place what was interesting yeah, about design i was like 13 or 14 and i had you know some nerdy hobbies and uh one of the other nerdy hobbies you tend to have at that age and uh this would be like early 2000s like internet forums were a big thing um you know everything takes place on these like giant social platforms now but it used to be you find the forum for what you care about mm-hmm. and then you do all your discussion there so eventually i wanted to start my own forum having been on forums for this thing that I care about. A big part of that, you know, back before we all used Facebook and everything looks the same and Medium looks like Medium and Twitter looks like Twitter, like you wanted everything to look as different as possible. And so a big part of that was customizing your forum. To do that, like the HTML is like written in stone. You can't really screw around with that, but you can like edit the CSS. And so you pick up Photoshop and you start, you know, changing some hex codes and you just kind of go from there. Awesome. Yeah, I remember uh, trying to build forums as well. That was like, that was such a fun thing that I feel like doesn't really exist anymore. It's, it's, it's like just, free now. You've got like Telescope or you've got um, Flareum or whatever. Like they're just easy to just turn on and you theme it a little bit and that's about it. Done. Like they just, all have the same basic structure. Yeah, or you just start a Facebook group. <laughs> nice plug. Nice, great. Excellent <laughs> plug. A plus. And so where did you go from there? Um things you know so i started doing that and i got so into it that i started hanging out on a forum that was about designing forums super meta <laughs> yeah super meta and eventually like you know they so they would like people would make these themes and then give them away so that people who didn't know how to do these things could customize the way their forum looks so that was like the whole point of this forum was to give this stuff away and so they had like special skin team where it's like if you got really good, they would put you on the skin team and then you would have like official releases. Um, so I like, <laughs> nice. I, I don't, I probably did like 30 skins and just like worked really hard. You know, 14 year old, I have nothing to do all summer. Wow. Um, and so eventually, you know, I made the skin team. That was so cool. Um, so, you know, probably only did like a couple skins after that because, you know, the hill's been climbed. But um, kind of from there, it's like at that point, you kind of know web design, right? Like, um, 
So I started, you know, making websites because I was like the next cool thing. And then everything just kind of builds from there. You get a client, you know, you do your mom and dad's website, uh, you know, they pay you $10. <laughs> or dinner. Yeah, free dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Charlie, how did you get into design? So my dad has a like print shop right so when i was a little kid like um first job i ever had was like i worked in the pre-press and i like backed up all of the data on like uh optical drives or something or tape drives and uh so i like they all had photoshop and i was like playing around and um i was surrounded by a lot of like really good print design at that time and i like registered it in my mind as something that was like intriguing to me but then like um, I always made music too, like growing up, like teenager. And I mean, I've always made music, but I needed a way to like publicize it. So I was like, I need to make a website to publicize the music that I'm making. So I just made websites for that. I did design for like albums and stuff like that. And basically after a while, I kind of realized like one thing that was like something I was always interested in was just like the technology, like being in the pre-press, I saw my first like Apple Newton, like things like that all along the way, like always just made me feel something and it just stuck with me. And then like I was working at an auction house, like uh, it was one of my first like sort of web design jobs. I was working at an auction house doing like retouching and web work. And um, I sat with a really great designer all day long and her name was Jennifer Mahaney. I mean, her name still is Jennifer Mahaney. Well, actually it's Jennifer Wolke now. She got married. Ha, <laughs> but, um, not anymore. So, psych. <laughs> so, um, regardless, we were sit there all day long and she was like really great at like type and layout and all these things that I just was interested in, but didn't understand. So I just kept like learning off her and like trying to like constantly understand what she was doing. And like in converse, I could like teach her like web stuff. And so it just became this like really good, like cyclical cycle where we were just like learning off each other for like a long time. And then we started like using the powers together and we like redid the website and like started having these things and all this like impact was happening like we like like raised the views of the web pages like 350 percent and stuff like that we were like oh my god like so much power (laughs) it's like design and technology together (laughs) i was like okay this this is like i sit around with my friends and talk about like apps at night when we're like sitting out like eating and stuff like this is like the thing that i think i'm actually interested in so then i just really started pursuing it and that's how it happened (laughs) what was the transition for both of you from like just building websites to building products because i feel like there's a distinction and it's an interesting like transformation and maybe how you approach the problems yeah it's it's uh it's super different um i started out working for an agency and doing kind of marketing websites for about four years and then doing some some freelance stuff again just kind of like web pages you know selling something and uh that stuff gets fairly monotonous and like if you look around these days a lot of websites look the same it's, it's kind of because like the problem is solved um so visually you can you can still do some cool stuff but like the paradigm is set we we know where a good sensible default is right yeah. like and people uh, i was you, just you need a reason to deviate from it right exactly like, <laughs> i i constantly like people are complaining all websites look the same blah blah, blah. it's like terrible no, it's solving the problem without any effort. Like, that's great. That's a good thing. It's re- I mean, it's great for, like, normal people. For me, yeah. it's like, man, it's so boring. <laughs> but it's just, like, add effort when necessary. 
get the job done first do whatever else is your priority and like go from there and and so it's interesting because like that's kind of like a a really founding principle of like good product design um so when when you make that switch it's like i was i was just kind of bored doing the same thing over and over um and so i found a contract doing some like product work in uh, minneapolis and then applied for big cartel and they were you know super nice and took me on board and i didn't really know a whole lot about product design at the time um we did some like cool ui work i learned a ton um but the the monumental shift between the two is definitely going from like i want to come up with this cool original visually unique thing to how can i take what people already know and are used to and modify it only where it needs to be modified so that Mm -hmm. they can still use it really easily real obvious is boring like it's super boring super boring but it's a paradigm that people know right like if you take a guitar and switch up the strings it might be really interesting but it's gonna suck like but i could see why people complain about every website feeling the same now because for so many years it was like especially for us like when you're building your own websites this was like your canvas to play and i think even now like most designers their own personal website is still that canvas right um it's like i can i can empathize with like why people would feel like it's weird that websites are converging on like big splash picture with a gray wash and then white text headline and like one primary CTA, like everything is the same, you know? Yeah. Those actually frustrate me a lot still. <laughs> um, They're not I, good, but everyone does them. Yeah. I think it's, Cause it I solves think it's, the problem. Yeah. I think uh, hides, hides CTA, but I think that's the problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> Except when people sign up out of curiosity and not because it's the thing they actually want. Hey, dude, metrics. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what <laughs> I agree. But yeah. I think like kind of the complaint that you see fly around Twitter sometimes is just like the branding of these sites all looks the same. Like it's it's cool that the button's in the same spot and that you have, you know, your big like explanation of what your company is at the top and like tell the story and everything. Like that's awesome. I think the we're we're like deep in this trend of of that giant photo on top and like the photo is always of like the same scene it's the same typeface coffee cup yeah steaming like on, happy a, people, on a wood right? bench <laughs> yeah um and it's there's just all unsplash uh yeah actually <laughs> <laughs> essentially yeah it's just like startup sites look like startup sites and it's like nobody's really really trying to find like a unique voice in their brand um there's there's just so much room to do anything there. Yeah. But the argument then would be like, why do we need to invest the time in that? Like, if this template works. It's it's kind of like a an interesting thing where like everybody talks about how design has made it, right? Like design is valued. Like companies have We have a design. seat at the table. <laughs> yeah, we have a seat at the table, but it's like it's from a very like engineering focused view of like what design contributes um like product has like done a great job at that but brand design in technology hasn't really like gotten a seat yet Hmm. interesting if you think about it like so if you have an e-commerce website you want people to successfully complete their purchase so having like a extremely similar paradigm like a cart and it's in the upper right hand corner that happens to work because it's familiar and stuff Um, But then all of the play comes from that, like what you can do to make people feel different during their experience to represent your brand, because that's the thing you're like saying, like, this is the culture, this is the stuff I sell. And this is like 
how it feels all together and like yeah that play part is maybe what yeah like people what's are what's the emotion to. right yeah. so it's is like, is there value in the in different for differences own sake or does it have to be something that is like well thought out and explained to the user i mean it's never for like differences sake but it also is right it's like <laughs> what makes it's apple like different art. than microsoft right and it's like it's kind of interesting to see microsoft uh, with their stores and a number of things kind of copy, like the veneer of Apple. Um, you walk by a Microsoft store and, you know, if you squint real hard, it looks just like an Apple store. <laughs> so real hard. You come from Minneapolis. Yeah. The first, I think, Microsoft store was at the Mall of America. It was directly Right across, across from the Apple yeah. store. And it was incredible. Like, it was a mirror replica. It was so interesting to see. Like, it was shifted like six feet over, but it was the same thing on the inside, except for it was full of, like, ugly gray boxes. Like, I, I, I still think about that uh, when I walk by Microsoft stores. It's like, it's awesome that you copy like the table layout and the like interactivity that Apple brought to the shopping experience. But it's like, find your own voice and like the type and the lighting and the arrangement. Um, I'm pretty sure they hired the same firm that Apple. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually was. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, at really least was. At, at least at the Mall of America, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they it was were crazy. Like, it's working. We're gonna do it. Yep. And they stared at them blankly like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That, please. Yeah. So how did you transfer like this sort of thinking to Facebook where, say, you're working on timeline or profile and like, you can't be different for different sake. Like, you're building a product that has to work for every kind of person on the planet, right? Or at least one out of seven. <laughs> one one out, out of seven, seven people on the planet. Sorry, dude. Per day. <laughs> per day. I mean, for me, switching from, like, doing agency work and marketing sites, that was, like, the big draw. It's such a such a different challenge. Um, and as, you know, when you see stuff like Snapchat come out, that is some, like, totally different, throw everything totally upside down, like, rethink the entire UI paradigm, th- rethink, like, how, you know, people don't want to share to everybody. They want to share only to a couple people individually. And so... There's a whole part of product design that really is seeking those new things. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, you see a lot of startups, and that's exactly what they're doing. You know, most fail. Um, when you're working at somewhere established like Facebook, you know, and specifically like Timeline and other products like that that have been around for, you know, seven, eight years, people have preconceptions about how these things are going to work and like what it is. And it has all these legacy features that have been built up over time. And so the the interesting thing there is that like, puts a couple puzzle pieces on the board immediately and then you have to kind of like work to figure out how everything else is going to fit in place because there's really only like a couple optimal results you can get from these pieces so then i'm curious when you started working on the groups app groups is used by so many people right well i don't know what the is latest it? public number was it's like 800 million i think was close, on the last earnings call yeah but you guys had the opportunity to build a standalone app for it so I'm wondering like what that was like to maybe have a little bit of a cleaner slate and not have as much legacy. Like how did you change your thinking and, and go through that? I wouldn't I wouldn't say that we like so much changed our thinking. We we approached it very much like we would approach a lot of projects at Facebook, which is like evaluating a lot of behavior, data and everything else. Um what was interesting was you didn't necessarily have to put all the buttons in the same place because you didn't have the weight of like the rest of the Facebook app and the consistency that you want between all those screens to look the same, um, which is something like we dealt with on like profile because that has to work on like pages and events and all these other things. 
so when we were doing the groups app, we still approached it from like that data driven way where it's like, okay, the groups index, like it's going to be a list of your groups. We know we want like groups to be separate spaces. We don't want a combined feed because it doesn't like bring home the separation of these, of these areas. Um, so like how many groups should be on screen, right? Like you need to figure out all the answers to these kind of questions. And we turn to data, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, how many groups does like somebody who uses groups monthly have weekly, daily? What is like the distribution of how frequently they access a certain number of those groups? So like somebody might have 10 groups, but they only use three weekly. Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of work backwards from there. So you start answering all these questions on a bunch of different screens. So it's like, you know, what's the most important activity of being in a group when you throw off all the constraints of how the Facebook app is structured? It's, reading posts, writing posts, and reading comments, writing comments. You, you kind of work backwards with all this data where it's like you look for spots for consistency. Like we don't want to change how you write a post on Facebook. Like we don't want to reinvent the composer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like not something that's super important to the group's experience to be super unique. But what we do want to think about is like how, you know, cast off the constraints of navigation. How can we like let you move between distinct spaces really quickly? And so we came up with like this kind of like circle metaphor where you like zoom into a group and it's it's kind of like its own planet, right? Your universe of planets. And then we use gestures to let that that movement between groups be really fast and mm-hmm. fluid. Mm-hmm. Kind of working with those things and then putting it all together, you you take all this data and then you go to user studies and you know it's it's a really iterative process. And you're still working on on the group's experience across the board or mostly the Charlie Charlie mostly the app um yeah the group's team currently right now both manages Facebook groups the app as well as Facebook groups within the normal Facebook experience on all the platforms so and where are you spending most of your time um I spend well I mean basically at this point we're at feature parity between Facebook and the Facebook groups app so I think most things were thinking about is moving those things in tandem we want the facebook groups app to definitely be like the best experience for like a serious groups user but we don't want facebook itself to Mm. in any way really lag behind that too much just because i mean the majority of our users are you know i mean all of our users are on facebook so like having them have the same features is pretty logical (laughs) makes sense uh, one of the things I was curious about with the Groups app is it was one of the early Facebook products to like incorporate sound design as well. Like when you're switching between groups, you get like this, this swoosh and different things like that. When was that decision made to like bring sound into the experience? It was, uh, we actually learned a lot about kind of sound design when uh, the sound team was working with Paper, uh, which launched before Groups. By, I've by heard the sound team there is like legendary. Yeah, I mean it's it's one guy. His name's Will. Little is it John. really one person? Yeah, primarily. What? I think he, well, I think he has an been, assistant now, but I mean, eight, no way. Aren't there eight? Yeah, it, it's built up. It's built up now. Right? Okay, I guess that makes sense. But right? on groups, like, we worked with one guy. Crazy. Um, and he would come to our like weekly design critiques, where we're kind of working through like, you know, kind of that like circle metaphor and like moving between groups and like, you know, the UI is kind of starting to take shape. And he would like look at those. And, like, we'd kind of talk through how we want it to feel, like, you know, like, what are the additives, like, light, fast, um, like, 
that kind of like universe planet zooming mm-hmm. like in on the on the planet kind of feel and he would like take that back and then come back next week with like you know six sound options and we would kind of listen to them in our critique and kind of narrow it down from there and he would refine it and just we kind of did that throughout the entire design process of the whole app that's really cool yeah i feel like sound design is is one of the new things a lot of people are starting to explore is like the next dimension of product design like the next sense it adds a whole other level of polish yeah like i'm i'm very disappointed i didn't get to we just submitted sidewire for to the app store and i'm very disappointed i didn't get to put sound in there because i just Mm didn't end up with time i got animations in yeah i mean at what point does sound become like frivolous frivolous or i don't know i see like a startup and it's like you probably don't need sound to launch but like at what point does it make sense to put it in when does it when is it worth the, the time and effort like to have a tangible benefit to the product i don't think it's ever i wouldn't ever call it a tangible benefit weirdly it's it's pure like Might it's like joy right like if you do it right if you're blind <laughs> like there's there's <laughs> reason, point. i mean there's like fee- i mean feedback is good on every level right so like yeah. if you have animation feedback that can give you structure as to like space and presence and moving around um visual feedback is obvious because that's mm-hmm. most of ui and then audio feedback is also extremely useful um in situations where you are given additional information because of it like that's a uh, great point like for like getting a notification like hearing the ding you don't see it first you might hear first and all those things like add up and i think like in the end it should be like um well not in the end but at 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 this point in the game i think it should be like a feature movie like if you want it to be a feature film of an app like you should have a triple a title yeah like you want all of that stuff in there because it's considered and it, it all of those things give you feedback about in different ways so I think it's pretty critical, actually. Like, it's yeah. not like interesting. Love, it's not visual style critical, but it's like it's very important. Haptic feedback is like the next one that rings because I then, see you're wearing the Apple Watch, and then you, smell after that. <laughs> for uh, for some apps, it can be like entirely critical. Um, when Facebook was working on kind of the messenger redesign, when it went from like the blue icon to the white icon, I think so most people think of it. Um, like they spent a lot of time on that popping sound and you know bringing it back to kind of like the brand discussion that we had earlier it's like you can ship an app like messenger where like that notification is like a whole third of the experience right like you're doing texting with people you're reading it on the lock screen like that sound is a huge part of your brand that's so interesting to me i always have my phone muted i like never hear any of this stuff I mean, you're missing a wide world of excitement. Yeah. Well, the, the first time I, I heard the uh, the thumbs up thing, when you hold the thumbs up, it goes. <laughs> I was like, "What? That's a thing?" But I actually, I actually didn't know you could hold it. I thought you just pressed it, like tapped it. Yeah. And but, they even built that on Messenger.com, which is like so the, blew my mind. The audio cue is like an affordance there. Then yeah, I just, yeah. Well, yeah, it gives you like well, there's the visual affordance, but like you can also hear when it's about to explode, and you know yeah. that you have mm-hmm. to release before then. But I, I just. I feel like if I would have heard it at first, I would have been like, oh, there's something there. Like, I cut it off. It can keep going. It's interesting. George Kedenberg showed it to me, and I was like, what? That's in- that's insane. On this very show. <laughs> <laughs> he did it in the microphone. <laughs> I think video games have really 
thought a lot about sound design and mm-hmm. even even just mobile games like if you play threes uh it's like that was both, so good yeah <laughs> like both the soundtrack and the sound effects as you're like sliding things around are just so satisfying i think i heard someone else playing in the office i had i've been playing it on mute for like a week and i heard someone playing it. i'm like what are you playing that sounds <laughs> so much fun i think it's the like, same game uh, do you guys play diablo i have played that was an interesting one because like if you play it over time, you see how their designers like made decisions around sound and like visual affordances Brian, for people. How many hours have you played in the past week? <laughs> well, the new season started, dude. <laughs> the, I, that didn't answer my question. I probably played six to eight hours this weekend. Per, Is that unreasonable? Per day? No, total. Every time I come over here now, Diablo. For the last two days, <laughs> it's a Monday. <laughs> It's been like a week or three. Anyways, the like when it when it first started out, like no one knew when say like a legendary item dropped. So then they did like a huge visual treatment, like this huge orange glow, and then people were still not finding them. So they'd put like this huge thing on the mini map, and people weren't finding them. Then finally, they did like this sound thing where when legendary drops, it's like takes over the entire sound of the game. Like it'll drop every other volume, be like swing or whatever. (laughs) 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 Swing. Another game that does that super well is uh, Hearthstone. Yes. Uh, when you're opening up like a card pack, yes. there's a certain rarity to the cards that you might open. And, you know, if you were a kid and you played Magic or anything like that, you know the experience of like opening a physical pack of cards or maybe like baseball cards. Pokemon right? like cards. Pokemon cards. And you like, you find that super rare card that you always wanted. And it's just like such a like emotional moment for you on the inside, right? And it's like, you take that to digital and it's like, what can you do with that? And it's mm-hmm. like, they have like really sweet visual effects, awesome. right? But it's like, that's super underwhelming compared to the like voice that like yells out the rarity and like, you, it's just so satisfying in like a digital world. And they <laughs> really, really did that with, uh, with sound design. I think Hearthstone is, uh, do you play? Uh, um, I have played that as well. <laughs> Man, I feel like Hearthstone is one of the best designed games I've, I've ever encountered. Like every interaction is so well thought out and like, even just some of the stuff like where you can interact with the map while it's not your turn and like cure boredom when the other person what? is taking a long Inter- Interact with the map? What? Yeah, like each of the four corners have things stuff. you can what? do. What? Have you never played Hearthstone, dude? I think Hearthstone is super boring. <laughs> so I dropped it after like a month. It's so well executed. Like even just the way they treat instructions and like every word on the card is so carefully chosen to like explain what it does and like help you understand how it's going to interact with other cards like every single word is so intentional i think it's beautiful copy design to me is like that's super critical but i feel less strong about audio design but that's also because i mute all my devices all the time (laughs) one thing like i think all of us have said during this like audio design conversation is that like there is an emotional element to it it might be the easiest way to actually convey some sort of feeling um because like not only do you have a feeling the first time you hear something, but also over the course of time that sound starts to resonate as like a feeling. Like when Where you, Pavlov's dogs. Right. Yeah. Like you associate, associate it with some sort of sensation. Like if I hear the like opening theme to destiny per se, it's like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's have fun. <laughs> like I know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that type of stuff, I think it is important, more important in different situations, but yeah. It's like when I hear it's pollinating time and I hear a moon man jumping through a forest. (laughs) It's associated now. It's associated. (laughs) Explain. 
It's Pollinating Time by by one Charlie Dietz is uh, the theme song to our new podcast. Yes. Immutable. I'm a big fan. And the video features a moon man. Jumping. So we can segue <laughs> yeah, speaking into of sound design. music career. <laughs> I guess I'm... I honestly thought Charlie Dietz was a stage name. It's the real deal. It's like... <laughs> that's like the most catchy, like real name I've ever heard. I'm pleased with it. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty stoked with my uh, name. Yeah. It took I, a long time picking that up. <laughs> um, it's actually Charles Dietz. So. Oh, damn it. <laughs> so my, close. But my dad's name is also Charles Dietz. Henceforth, I had to have something a little different. So Charlie. I was like, Chet Faker, Charlie Dietz. Like, it just sounds like a like chill stage name. <laughs> so how long have you been making music? Um, probably started making music when i was like 13 or 14 i was playing guitar and then by the time i was like playing in variety shows in high school and stuff like that and then by the time i went to college i started like recording little eps and albums and then i started a band um right as i got out of college and the band's name was sally and we played for like seven years or something like that and uh we went on like a couple tours and made like uh three EPs and a full length, well, two full length albums. And, um, yeah, it was like super fun. But then I, uh, music is really hard. Uh, Correct. (laughs) So I came from a studio engineering background, so I'm like, yeah, it's super hard. It's a very hard like life. And, um, yeah. And like making music, like you face rejection, like more than I think any, other way you like any other art it's just like it's really hard to you get very good at taking critique (laughs) like very good and uh so i i broke up that band because i was like i think that uh, i need like a fresh start and so i broke up the band and basically started making music on my own under the premise that i was in no way trying to make a career out of it i just wanted to make music like the way i felt when i was like a teenager where i didn't really think about like having to pay rent and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, then it just got really good. I like got to, I made a, uh, I've made, uh, technically like three albums and one EP as a solo artist now. And, uh, yeah, it's just fun. Cause it's like, it's literally just for me wanting to do it. And that's how I frame it. And it continues to be an enjoyable thing to do. <laughs> how much time do you have, or how much time do you get to spend on that? Is it like, hours every day of your evenings i imagine that would just be like draining but since destiny has come out (laughs) (laughs) no new music no actually that's not true i made a ep like this past year and i intend on making another one before the end of the year but um it's like basically at this particular time um i make most of the music on a computer and but i'm on a computer a lot for work stuff so it's actually become like I think I want to like get away from making computer music and start making like actual like organic music again, just to like have a change of scenery. But yeah, I I probably don't spend as much time on it now, especially having full-time employment and all that sort of stuff. Like it's a, it's challenging to like say, I'm going to go sit down, but it is really enjoyable because it's so different from everything else. And there's very little constraints. (laughs) So I didn't catch your journey to actually ending up at Facebook where you are now a corporate fat cat. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> description. For, from fat cat with cat chat. So <laughs> corporate fat cat making cat chat. 
So I was working at this auction house called Right, and we're having a good time making websites and stuff like that. And I wanted to get more involved in like technology because um, I just wanted to learn from other people and stuff. So I got a job at a company called Electric Pulp, which is in South Dakota. And they, I was in Chicago. I was living in Chicago and they were in South Dakota and I was working remotely. And they focused mainly on like responsive e-commerce websites. And it was like awesome. It was, I just learned so much from them. And during my time there, I had started to create an app, which is an OS X app called Blind, uh, which is a browser. And it was for like retina displays to display websites at one time so that you could sort of anticipate the way it would look um, when you didn't have like a one times display available. One thing I wanted to say that was like critical to like my write experience was that like I had this cool relationship there with like the people who used the auction website because they didn't go anywhere like month after month they kept using the site and I got addicted to that relationship of making a change seeing how it affected them and like that part like tied into like that product relationship sort of stuff and then I made this browser and the moon app while I was at electric pulp and then we started working on an app together at electric pulp which was called duo and it was basically for responsive web developers to like you basically show like two panes of the same app at the same time and you could scale between sizes so like basically if i'm making media query changes um i could see the changes wait you made that (laughs) well i didn't (laughs) we we made it together i mean like it wasn't my idea it was uh electric pulp's idea and but i like helped execute it and whatnot so many dots connecting (laughs) um so that was like it's all in the deets (laughs) so i had to make it i had to make that joke (laughs) had to do it um so we that app came out like the day i started at facebook you know but um i don't know that that app like really gave me the like taste for product more than anything because i was like wow you can make something it's like useful for people they like it helps. I don't know that that's where I really got into product. I mean, I guess I was set up to get into it before that, but that was like a solidifier for me. That's like, I want to make these things. <laughs> so you both have probably an interesting perspective because you both have worked remotely and then you both sounds like for a significant amount of time too. Yeah. For a while. And then you both moved to full time at Facebook, which I mean, do you guys have a, an opinion on remote work and like the kind of Brian, have you ever worked right remotely? I have worked remotely. I spent two years working remotely. I figured that's where you're going there. It's uh, it's dramatically different. Um, remote work. I I worked uh, for Big Cartel for about two years, uh, completely remote. And we would maybe meet up in Salt Lake City a couple times a year, and those those times were a blast. But um, most of the time, you know, you're you're working from your desk at home, in your house all by yourself because everybody else goes off to work. And you get lunch by yourself because everybody else is getting lunch with their coworkers, um, and that could be that could be a little bit lonely and different. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, hear about remote working when they're in the workforce and think it's this like glorious thing, but it's actually it's it's pretty lonely. Um, but it does have some high points. Um, when I was working at Big Cartel, I got to go work in uh, Ireland for like three months, mm-hmm. um, and that was super cool. And they were they were really chill about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, you know, keeping Irish hours. Uh, and it was pretty cool because I could hand off my work at the end of the day to to Eric, the uh, the designer co-founder, and he could, like, pick it up right after that. We'd have, like, one-hour overlap. It was, it was kind of an interesting experience. But um, transitioning to, like, Facebook was, like, 
I have a social like network again. It's kind of a pun, but like <laughs> I moved to San Francisco while I was working for Big Cartel and I just like didn't know anybody. Um, and I was working from home and not getting lunch with anybody and not meeting anybody. Um, so to give like San Francisco like a proper go, I had to take a local job. And I had some friends on Facebook and like we chatted and did the interview and, you know, ended up there for three years. But uh met a lot of people and like that's how I settled into San Francisco more. Now that you've experienced both, do you think you have a knack or like taste for one or the other in terms of what you're going to do next? Um, I don't, I don't know if it affects what I do next, but there's, there's like dramatic pros and cons to both. Right. Um, and I think you learn some skills, uh, doing remote working that you don't get in the workplace and vice versa. So I think if anybody gets a chance to do both, you should like seize the opportunity. I agree. <laughs> um, in the same way, like having an employer and doing freelance, uh, full time is such a like different world and like the skill sets you build of like being really independent and like organizing your own schedule and priorities and setting all that up yourself like when you go to like corporate world that stuff's easy you're like i don't need a manager like (laughs) i know how to like set this time and everything and you know remote working is very much the same like you get really good at knowing how to focus for like four hours by yourself um but you you know when you go work in an office those social skills are are so much better and like it can be difficult when you're working remotely to like co-design something or like work through a problem because you're isolated. Like it's just you and your notebook or your computer screen. You don't really have that easy access to like the person at the desk desk next to you to just like bounce ideas. What was your experience like, Charlie? Um, When I was working remotely, I was doing more developer work. And for that, I think it is really great experience because you can really focus when you are uh under your own constraints of time and everything like that i just i think it's super easy to focus um the opposite world is facebook where it is an open work environment and i am subject to like being distracted by literally anything at any moment are Um, you an mpk20 yes i am (laughs) so such an awesome building (laughs) like it's really great for exactly what kyle said it's like i can I can communicate with people like all day long and stay on task. And if I have something, there's like two other designers sitting next to me and I start talking about it. And before I know it, boom, like the problem is like much clearer or solved. Um, It's like rubber duck (laughs) style. Yeah. I mean like, yeah. Living rubber ducks. (laughs) Wait, maybe I don't get it. Rubber rubber duck programming where where you uh, put something like the rubber duck is a typical example, stereotypical example you put a rubber duck on top of your monitor and you explain your problem to it out loud and then you learn from it. Oh, cool. I, I, I told my boss, I'm like, I'm rubber ducking you. And he's like, got it. Like <laughs> I just was explaining my problem. I was trying to solve SVG stacks today. It was insane. But yeah, it's like, like I, explaining to someone else is, is very helpful. My rubber duck, rubber ducking example is like i will write out the message to the person who i think could solve it and then i write it out all the way and then i'm like don't send what am i doing here (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't send it and then i like just make sure like that i can't yeah figure it out myself but that's like from the remote work stuff it's like you kind of like there is this tentativeness when you're remotely working where you don't want to be like, Hey, I'm asking you questions constantly. I'm alone. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, help me. You kind of want to figure it out for yourself so you can, uh, just, I don't know, present it back like, haha, it's done. And that feels kind of good when you're working remotely. 
Um, so I like that, like independence uh, of that experience. But oppositely, I like probably more introverted. So like socializing all day long is kind of draining on me emotionally, but I do learn a ton of valuable stuff by just being in the same space with other people and like talking about problems in person. It's just, it works really well. So it's so easy to get lost in your own head on a problem. And a lot so of times easy. the best ideas are like somebody else's ideas. Cause they're just not close to it. Even like stare at a design and just four hours go by. Right. And you like play with stuff, but you're not even thinking on like the right level. Like, it's you not move about the same two pixels back and forth yeah, over and over and over. Like, <laughs> but it's like not about those two pixels. It's like, should the screen even exist? And yeah. as soon as you start talking it through with somebody else, they can be like, wait a minute. Like, I just burned four hours on this screen that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And they're, they're <laughs> like, why, why does this screen exist? And can raise those questions that you weren't putting your mind into. I feel like designers have this urge to like go away in a corner and then Emerge, totally. emerge like with this a uh, gorgeous perfectly I have executed seen the glory <laughs> <laughs> yeah but in in practice right like it's it's about like leaning over and chatting with the person next to you and or i guess vcing if if you're remote i think that habit is like something a lot of young designers do and like i was certainly guilty of it probably all the way up until like facebook because facebook's culture is so like put it out there the moment you do it um within the company uh i totally was guilty of like going off in a corner and like you know take two weeks before i come back and show anything but like i'm really proud of what i'm showing but it took two weeks and it probably could have been done in two days mm -hmm. if i just had somebody actually working with me on things i'm guilty of like always wanting to just have the final design in my mind when i present it and the thing that i'm working on now is like always coming to a presentation with like, here are the spectrum of things that I considered. So I want you to understand like where, like I made my decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and then here's my recommended one or whatever, because I, I, I found that like, I thought like, oh, if I just present this one, people ask questions like, what about this? What about that? Um, but we can keep on the same page. Like this is the thing we're really trying to think about, but it's not that people want to like they need to be informed in order to make an informed decision. So that's the thing like I'm totally like working through now, which is just like really getting everyone on the same page. And then um, like, yeah, like having a preference, but like allowing the like sort of group to like mm. understand. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it balances and like uh, it helps you know if you're on the right path and then sometimes you totally will be like whoa i was completely off and if i hadn't shown it in this particular way i might not have caught that and it ends up benefiting you from two directions usually so do you ever save iterations or do you only show one I, final product i have this bizarre habit of uh and it probably goes back to working remotely so when you work remotely you're sending like image files across Basecamp or aol messenger a lot um so you're constantly like making what, some what tweaks. year was that oh man 2010 <laughs> it's not that long ago wow um so you're constantly did you like, use adium oh i did use oh Adium for yes. sure that was a great product um awesome the duck the duck <laughs> sorry <laughs> i had custom duck icons i was like super into it you customize that whole thing like, yeah constantly <laughs> uh, have you ever got have you guys ever used geek tool i'm sorry i didn't mean to no. derail it but like <laughs> customizing everything on a mac it was insane charlie knows that was 
did Panic make that? Or no, no it was like, Panic made like Icon Factory or something. Yep, I used yeah. a candy bar. Candy bar. Candy bar. Yep. That's it. So yeah. I use candy bar constantly. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. So you're you're sending files back and forth on. Oh yeah, yeah. AOL so I, as a messenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's you know ICQ. Um, but so you just I would develop this weird habit where I'd like make some changes and then like save for web. So I'd have this JPEG and I'd send it and get feedback and then I'd repeat that like sometimes twelve times in an hour. And the better I got at asking for feedback and getting more mature about that, the more I did that. And so I have projects where and like Facebook groups is a good example where I have like two thousand pings in a folder that are just iterative slightly better sometimes you know giant leaps because i had a whiteboard session like that's so awesome i'm so bad at that it so i now i have this weird habit where sometimes i'll go back and i'll go to that that folder right and i'll quick view the first file and i'll just hold the down arrow it's this (laughs) movie of how the design evolved over the whole project that's so cool and every other designer is jealous at the end when they don't have that I feel like that would be so really invaluable. That's been the biggest thing for me with Wake is like now as a team, before I hit save, I'll share to Wake. So whatever artboard I'm working on, I'll just hit like this shift command W and it'll like send it to the team all the time. I don't even look at the feedback on it. I just keep going and like just load up this feedback channel in Slack with just tons of iterations. That's been like the most meaningful like growth experience for me recently. <laughs> but I, I've been so bad at sharing work. Like if someone wasn't looking over my shoulder, they weren't seeing it until it was done. And I would never save iterations. Like, I'd never, like, go back. It was always move forward. Well, I think that's, like, a probably a pretty common problem with many designers, which is why Wake even exists, right? Like, people are not sharing early enough. Designers are self-conscious of, of works in progress. My favorite thing about iterations is, okay, so I worked on one project at Facebook for, like, six months, and I saved every iteration along the way. And then I made, like, a huge movie which was just all the iterations scrolling by so you could see the beginning and like the time of like how long into the project it was and um then like the best part was like seeing the beginning one and the end one and how remarkably similar they were but um everything in between like made you know that like that last one was like trust me like we thought about it in the meantime like it's it's kind of like your intuition might actually be right um for certain stuff but trying all the explorations Mm -hmm. and having those to like look at always in the future will like um let you know that at the end like in the conclusive state you're like on the right track (laughs) yeah i think that could be scary to like always think your intuition's right like it's good to go through the process right yeah i gave up on my intuition like uh my i've like (laughs) (laughs) intuition is a fascinating like awesome and ego driven thing but really when it comes down to it i'm i'm like slowly learning that intuition is something i'll save for like non-facebook work <laughs> well i think the interesting thing at least my time at facebook was like when i started i learned everything i thought i knew was wrong um because we had you know we'd ship it and the data would come in and it's like no dude you're wrong you're wrong you don't know anything and that was awesome it's like totally changed the way i approach projects and like intuition is always like the sum of your previous experiences so after, you know, a couple of years at Facebook and working through that data and going through similar problems, like your intuition gets a little better. You can kind of look at like these two or three options and be like, I would bet money. Yeah. That option A is going to outperform option B and C. I 
totally get that. Yeah, and maybe like, you run the <laughs> test. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's enough. Um, but with time, you can kind of better your intuition through data, which is kind of an interesting thing. Cause so many people are either like, yeah, data or that is for engineers. You know, design doesn't need that. That's the weirdest thing is like you always hear about designers talking about taste and they always mean it in the term, my opinion is better than the data. They, they never mean it as like taste in addition to data. It's always taste versus data. Mm-hmm. And that's not a valid argument. Uh, I, I just can't. I, I would, I think you could debate that on one, one part. Okay. It's like. Talk to me, Goose. You could do things as a designer to very easily manipulate data. The taste part comes in and But then it's not good like, data. Right. True so, data is like, that's, well, it's well, infallible. One th- one that, thing, that can be really hard to distinguish at the time, right? Be. So like, Correct. that's where the taste comes in is understanding like, maybe this is a long-term decision or like, well, I don't know if taste is the right word here, yeah. but all I'm saying is like, I would be hesitant to, to say that like data should be the God. Like it has good, to be good, pure data with a firm understanding is the right answer. Okay. But like, obviously that's never written out for you. Like, yep, this data is good. I think like data is like a really tight perspective on it too. Like um, there's immeasurable things or like, you know, the amount of time you'd have to invest in getting like super perfect data is actually like 10 times what it is to have a little like intuition or taste or have like some sort of values that you're coming to the table with. And then you kind of use the data to like say, hey, like, where is this broken? Like, I think that's the way I think of data, not like saying like, this is right or wrong, but like, hey, is this not letting people do what they want to do? Like, that's um, one way of thinking. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think on the, the taste angle, there's a couple of things there too, where it's like, you know, sometimes it's emotional and it's like things you can't measure, uh, like brand pieces and stuff, where it's like you want people to feel a certain way. It may not perform quite as good, Right but you need, you need people to feel better about this or you need to make the process lighter or heavier. Um, I think before we got started, we talked about games and like how friction is a good thing and like overcoming that friction sometimes is, is beneficial, even if it's counter to metrics. And I think the other thing and something that I always brought up uh, when we would talk about like optimizing interfaces at Facebook is like, like where's the threshold? Like how far do you optimize this before it's over-optimized. Because I can promise you if I make this button half the screen and blur- red and blinking mm-hmm. and marquee, <laughs> like, it'll perform better. But like, where where's kind of that threshold where like it starts being in poor taste to push it further? How do you... What's the value of poor taste? What is the negative value of poor taste? Right. It's is there Im- something it's measurable? It's immeasurable. That's a problem, right? So it's like maybe there is some ways to measure it using like uh, like research or like surveys sort of like where survey people are like, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you get a lot of surveys that say, fuck you, you're doing something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, it's one of those things that's a lot harder to measure than just people clicking on it. So it might not be fairly represented. Mm-hmm. So you have to like come from some sort of opinion to start. I think like what, what percentage of users are instead of clicking there and instead of just straight up bouncing, they're screaming at their computer, lighting on fire and leaving. <laughs> well, I feel like you're asking sort of a rhetorical question when you said like, where is that threshold? But like, do you have any thoughts on how to identify when you're at that point? Like, Cause that you think about something like Facebook and it's like, yeah, maybe if you made the ads 1.5 X bigger, they'd make 1.5 X the money. But like, is that 
the, Worth that's it. the long-term strategy and obviously the answer is no but like how do you even think about like where's that line and when I mean, you've we, gone too far we look at that kind of stuff right like even if the public never sees it we've tried bigger ads and smaller ads and you know maybe run a tiny little test um but those things and especially on something like facebook where it's so dense and so complicated you can't it, it, it ends up starting to be kind of zero sum. There's only so many things people can see. There's only so many things you can put on a screen. So if you make those ads bigger, it probably drops like how much people like and comment or read stories because stories have to get smaller and less cool, right? And so there isn't always going to be like a perfect medium, but you got to pick a number at some point sometimes. So you can look at the data on a curve and try to find like an apex or, you know, some some statistical thing that looks right but some of those things and bringing it back to branding like some of those things show up in data but not for like maybe five years right because like user loyalty like everybody talks about churn at startups um that churn rate when you make that button like more annoying but it's more performant might be fine for now until like a competitor comes out who has better taste right it's like PayPal was doing great <laughs> until like Venmo came out and did the same thing, but like more tasteful and without like the brand distrust that people felt with PayPal. Um, so they just bought them. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The Valley way. <laughs> I have like another example. So like for um, my first year at Facebook, I worked on the privacy team and one of the things we did was um, privacy checkup, which was a, uh, a dub 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 like a website version i love when people say dub 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 <laughs> like that just cracks me up so much i so, get i get it now it's an experience you went through on your web browser how's that um so like one of the things is like how aggressive like we tested this thing we know that it's valuable people used it and made their experience more like they wanted and they felt good about it so we know this is a valuable thing but how aggressive do i promote this to you because it's like you may just not want to do it. And so finding that balance point is like, that was like intuitive as well as data-driven. Like we knew that we didn't want to be overly aggressive or like show you up, like pop up like three times or something like that would have been too much. But we wanted to get the message across. So we had to kind of like balance like our intuition of what was like an acceptable amount of interruption in your Facebook experience with like, enough people using it that they felt like, you know, they were getting the, like we wanted to make sure enough people who wanted to do it were getting that experience. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. It's a hard challenge. Well, yeah, we're also interesting. We're entirely like over time. <laughs> so, uh, anything you guys want to plug before you go? Um, I think Gabe, when he was on this show, plugged something about, I think he plugged cat chat. So I should because it, it's dope. <laughs> like, so I will plug his app, which is peak peak. Yeah. but He was on the <laughs> show already. So I guess I can't over plug. They spent an entire episode talking about it. It's yeah, fine. Okay. Then I plug him as an individual. Gabe Valdivia <laughs> as an individual. I like Plugged. it. I like it. You can find him in our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. He's nice. real chatty. Awesome. Got my own Slack. Uh. Social hub. <laughs> Grand Central of parties or something. <laughs> Design parties. Design dot party. Can we get that? Is that a thing? Dot party? Dot party? Yeah. TLD. 
Uh, and people will link to your Twitters in the show notes. Is it cool if people hit you up and no, chat? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And go check out It's Pollinating Time on YouTube by Charlie Deeds because it's just the best video I've ever seen. And it's, it's a lot of hype. No one's gonna what's like the it. other one? With the, <laughs> what's the one with the kaleidoscope that makes bad love or something? Uh, bad romance. Bad romance. Yes. Oh, my God. The creepiest kaleidoscope you've ever seen. There's so much hair in there. Oh. oh. Decent oh. It sounds terrible, but it's so great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time, guys. This was Thank fun. you. It was Thank very you. fun. Halfway to 116. Crushed it. Dude, we're going to have to celebrate when we hit 116. Yeah, I know. It's a pretty specific landmark. It's going to be a really big deal for us. We hope you enjoyed listening to our halfway point. If you enjoyed the show, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback, suggestions, critiques comments you can also chat with us in our slack team we're going to push that because there are over 750 designers and developers in there so if you just want people to talk with ask questions this is the best place to do it go to spec.fm slack and we will get you invited before we go we have two sponsors that made this episode possible huge huge thank you to icon finder icon finder is the largest source of premium icons on the web if you're working on a design project and you need any kind of icon, this is the place to go. They have over 600,000 icons in their library. Over 10,000 of those are icon sets. Uh, so you're gonna have this really beautiful consistency across all the icons you're using in your project. They come in all file types. They're gonna work in any software for design you're using, whether that's Sketch, Photoshop, or Illustrator. And they turn around and pay back 70% of their revenue to the original icon designers. So if you go to iconfinder.com, Sign up for Icon Finder Pro. Use the promo code ROBOT. That'll tell them that we sent you. It'll save you 50% off your first month. And they will turn around and make the design community so much better by supporting amazing icon designers. Thanks so much to Icon Finder. And go to iconfinder.com. Our second sponsor is Dropbox. Dropbox is a cloud syncing service that stores all your files across all your computers, keeps them synced, keeps them up to date, and you can share with teams really easily. You can send files very quickly and have them open in a live web preview where you can leave comments even. It's a really fantastic service. We use it for everything here at Spec. Can't be more thankful for it. And we really, really appreciate Dropbox's sponsorship. So go check out dropbox.com. And thank you once again to Dropbox. We'll see you on Wednesday with Terra Man.